Chapter 21, Part 2 of The Wonderful Adventures of Nils by Selma Lagerlof, translated by Velma Swanston Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia. The Story of Carr and Grayskin, Grayskin's Flight. From the day that Carr went to live with the gamekeeper, he abandoned entirely his forbidden chase in the forest. This was due not only to his having been thoroughly frightened, but also to the fact that he did not wish to make the gamekeeper angry at him. Ever since his new master saved his life, the dog loved him above everything else. He thought only of following him and watching over him. If he left the house, Carr would run ahead to make sure that the way was clear, and if he sat at home, Carr would lie before the door and keep a close watch on every one who came and went. When all was quiet at the lodge, when no footsteps were heard on the road, and the gamekeeper was working in his garden, Carr would amuse himself playing with the baby elk. At first the dog had no desire to leave his master even for a moment. Since he accompanied him everywhere, he went with him to the cow-shed. When he gave the elk calf its milk, the dog would sit outside the stall and gaze at it. The gamekeeper called the calf Grayskin because he thought it did not merit a prettier name, and Carr agreed with him on that point. Every time the dog looked at it, he thought that he had never seen anything so ugly and misshapen as the baby elk with its long shambly legs which hung down from the body like loose stilts. The head was large, old, and wrinkled, and it always drooped to one side. The skin lay in tucks and folds, as if the animal had put on a coat that had not been made for him. Always doleful and discontented, Curiously enough, he jumped up every time Carr appeared, as if glad to see him. The elk calf became less hopeful from day to day, did not grow any, and at last he could not even rise when he saw Carr. Then the dog jumped up into the crib to greet him, and thereupon a light kindled in the eyes of the poor creature, as if a cherished longing were fulfilled. After that, Carr visited the elk calf every day and spent many hours with him, licking his coat, playing and racing with him, till he taught him a little of everything a forest animal should know. It was remarkable that, from the time Carr began to visit the elk calf in his stall, the latter seemed more contented and began to grow. After he was fairly started, he grew so rapidly that in a couple of weeks the stall could no longer hold him, and he had to be moved into a grove. When he had been in the grove two months, his legs were so long that he could step over the fence whenever he wished. Then the lord of the manor gave the gamekeeper permission to put up a higher fence and to allow him more space. Here the elk lived for several years and grew up into a strong and handsome animal. Carr kept him company as often as he could, but now it was no longer through pity, 
for a great friendship had sprung up between the two. The elk was always inclined to be melancholy, listless, and indifferent, but Carr knew how to make him playful and happy. Grayskin had lived for five summers on the gamekeeper's place when his owner received a letter from a zoological garden abroad asking if the elk might be purchased. The master was pleased with the proposal. The gamekeeper was distressed, but had not the power to say no, so it was decided that the elk should be sold. Carr soon discovered what was in the air and ran over to the elk to have a chat with him. The dog was very much distressed at the thought of losing his friend, but the elk took the matter calmly and seemed neither glad nor sorry. "'Do you think of letting them send you away without offering resistance?' asked Carr. "'What good would it do to resist?' asked Grayskin. "'I should prefer to remain where I am, naturally, but if I've been sold I shall have to go, of course.' Carr looked at Grayskin and measured him with his eyes. It was apparent that the elk was not yet full-grown. He did not have the broad antlers, high hump, and long mane of the mature elk, but he certainly had strength enough to fight for his freedom. One can see that he has been in captivity all his life, thought Carr, but said nothing. Carr left and did not return to the grove till long past midnight. By that time he knew Grayskin would be awake and eating his breakfast. Of course you are doing right, Grayskin, and letting them take you away, remarked Carr, who appeared now to be calm and satisfied. You will be a prisoner in a large park and will have no responsibilities. It seems a pity that you must leave here without having seen the forest. You know your ancestors have a saying that the elk are one with the forest, but you haven't even been in a forest. Grayskin glanced up from the clover which he stood munching. Indeed, I should love to see the forest, but how am I to get over the fence? He said with his usual apathy. Oh, that is difficult for one who has such short legs, said Carr. The elk glanced slyly at the dog, who jumped the fence many times a day, little as he was. He walked over to the fence, and with one spring he was on the other side, without knowing how it had happened. Then Carr and Grayskin went into the forest. It was a beautiful moonlight night in late summer, but in among the trees it was dark, and the elk walked along slowly. Perhaps we had better turn back, said Carr. You, who have never before tramped the wild forest, might easily break your legs. Grayskin moved more rapidly and with more courage. Carr conducted the elk to a part of the forest where the pines grew so thickly that no wind could penetrate them. It is here that your kind are in the habit of seeking shelter from cold and storm, said Carr. Here they stand under the open skies all winter, but you will fare much better where you are going, for you will stand in a shed with a roof over your head like an ox. Grayskin made no comment but stood quietly and drank in the strong piney air. "'Have you anything more to show me, or have I now seen the whole forest?' he asked. 
Then Carr went with him to a big marsh and showed him clogs and quagmire. Over this marsh the elk take flight when they are in peril, said Carr. I don't know how they manage it, but large and heavy as they are, they can walk here without sinking. Of course you couldn't hold yourself up on such dangerous ground, but then there is no occasion for you to do so, for you will never be hounded by hunters. Grayskin made no retort, but with a leap he was out on the marsh, and happy when he felt how the clods rocked under him. He dashed across the marsh and came back again to Carr without having stepped into a mud-hole. "'Have we seen the whole forest now?' he asked. "'No, not yet,' said Carr. He next conducted the elk to the skirt of the forest, where fine oaks, lindens, and aspens grew. Here your kind eat leaves and bark, which they consider the choicest of food, but you will probably get better fare abroad. Grayskin was astonished when he saw the enormous leaf-trees spreading like a great canopy above him. He ate both oak-leaves and aspen-bark. These taste deliciously bitter and good, he remarked, better than clover. Then wasn't it well that you should taste them once, said the dog. Thereupon he took the elk down to a little forest lake. The water was as smooth as a mirror and reflected the shores, which were veiled in thin light mists. When Grayskin saw the lake, he stood entranced. What is this, Carr? he asked. It was the first time that he had seen a lake. "'It's a large body of water, a lake,' said Carr. "'Your people swim across it from shore to shore. One could hardly expect you to be familiar with this, but at least you should go in and take a swim.' Carr himself plunged into the water for a swim. Grayskin stayed back on the shore for some little time, but finally followed. He grew breathless with delight as the cool water stole soothingly around his body. He wanted it over his back, too, so went further out. Then he felt that the water could hold him up and began to swim. He swam all around Carr, ducking and snorting perfectly at home in the water. When they were on shore again, the dog asked if they had not better go home now. It's a long time until morning, observed Grayskin, so we can tramp around in the forest a little longer. They went again into the pine wood. Presently they came to an open glade illuminated by the moonlight where grass and flowers shimmered beneath the dew. Some large animals were grazing on this forest meadow, an elk bull, several elk cows, and a number of elk calves. When Grayskin caught sight of them, he stopped short. He hardly glanced at the cows or the young ones, but stared at the old bull, which had broad antlers with many taglets, a high hump, and a long-haired fur piece hanging down from his throat. "'What kind of animal is that?' asked Grayskin in wonderment. "'He is, call he is called Antler Crown,' said Carr and he is your kinsman. One of these days you, too, will have broad antlers like those, 
and just such a mane, and if you were to remain in the forest, very likely you also would have a herd to lead. If he is my kinsman, I must go closer and have a look at him, said Grayskin. I never dreamed that an animal could be so stately. Grayskin walked over to the elk, but almost immediately he came back to Carr, who had remained at the edge of the clearing. You were not very well received, were you? said Carr. I told him that this was the first time I had run across any of my kinsmen, and asked if I might walk with them on their meadow. But they drove me back, threatening me with their antlers. You did right to retreat, said Carr. A young elk bull with only a taglet crown must be careful about fighting with an old elk. Another would have disgraced his name in the whole forest by retreating without resistance, but such things needn't worry you who are going to move to a foreign land. Carr had barely finished speaking when Grayskin turned and walked down to the meadow. The old elk came toward him, and instantly they began to fight. Their antlers met and clashed, and Grayskin was driven backward over the whole meadow. Apparently he did not know how to make use of his strength, but when he came to the edge of the forest he planted his feet on the ground, pushed hard with his antlers, and began to force Antler Crown back. Grayskin fought quietly while Antler Crown puffed and snorted. The old elk in his turn was now being forced backward over the meadow. Suddenly a loud crash was heard. A taglet in the old elk's antlers had snapped. He tore himself loose and dashed into the forest. Carr was still standing at the forest border when Grayskin came along. "'Now that you have seen what there is in the forest,' said Carr, "'will you come home with me?' "'Yes, it's about time,' observed the elk. Both were silent on the way home. Carr sighed several times, as if he was disappointed about something, but Grayskin stepped along, his head in the air, and seemed delighted over the adventure. He walked ahead unhesitatingly until they came to the enclosure. There he paused. He looked in at the narrow pen where he had lived up till now, saw the beaten ground, the stale fodder, the little trough where he had drunk water, and the dark shed in which he had slept. "'The elk are one with the forest,' he cried. Then he threw back his head, so that his neck rested against his back, and rushed wildly into the woods. End of chapter 21, part 2, recording by Gerald Moe, Tucker, Georgia.